you've landed upon a podcast called Insert Sound, Episode 3. Welcome. I'd sure like to know how you got here, but I can't bother with all the analytical tools on offer following your digital trail. Also, I don't want to risk losing you so early in the episode, like a date turning away at the door. So, I'm going to give you the elevator pitch of what this podcast is. Insert Sound is a manifestation of the idea to record sounds and convey thoughts that somehow relate to the recordings of these sounds, which vary by episodes. Well, being none the wiser from that, let me give you a list of sounds that have come to my mind. Wind, water, fire, gongs, footsteps, engines, revving, trains, humming, fences, glass breaking, white rabbit, metal tools, clinging, balls, kicked, food, simmering, sawing, breaking, nailing, screwing, burning, wood, gravel, skateboarding, flushing, brushing, drilling, helicopter, crampons, whip, ship, sandstorm, snowstorm, birds, waves, dogs, barking, cat purring, voices in cacophony, art opening, city corner at 3 a.m. and 3 p.m., and the list keeps going. This is not the minimalist sound recording podcast based on a fetish for high-quality lossless and clean recordings of rain and leaves rustling, but I do use the podcast as a practice in the skill of sound recording. I have spent part of the last eight years producing a variety of radio shows for the Icelandic Broadcasting Corporation using a small handheld Zoom H4N stereo recorder upgrading to the H5 in 2018. Both have served me well and function beyond expectations when it comes to getting fairly good stereo sound via the two mono mic capsules, which in an XY configuration record stereo in a 90 or 120 degree angle. Close to 100 episodes of radio documentaries, thousands of hours of recordings, interviews and soundscapes, all perfectly acceptable when done properly. And the small size has the benefits of easy to carry and does not feel intimidating during interviews. They are robust and though I'm ashamed to admit that the H4N once slipped out of my pocket and into a river inside a canyon in Iceland in 2014, it did continue to work perfectly for years after I taped it to the roof of a car and drove 200 miles, meanwhile drying this trusted recorder. All of that said, I had for years thought of getting better equipment and recording better sound, whatever the nature or purpose would be. I only recently chose Sound Devices Mix Pre 6 Recorder, which became the foundation of my home recording studio, where I do the voiceover for radio shows, audiobooks, and podcasts, paired with a rather deep-sounding Shure SM7B mic, for now. For field recordings, which I remind you can be anything outside a studio or building, I only bought a low, heavy mic stand, onto which I screwed a blimp with a Rode NT4 stereo mic, both lent to me by my good friend Arne Ben, a seasoned sound recordist working in film and documentaries. But it's time to insert sound. What you're hearing is a recording I did inside my recording studio on my iPhone late at night. The idea came from chatting with my girlfriend, who lives in London, about an unusually long commute she'd had. I quickly thought of conveying a feeling of the societal weight of the big city commute. Ten seconds later, I was inside the recording studio, located inside my bedroom. 
The springs on the reading lamp became the foundation of the vague but simple sound piece. The softer sound came from my kalimba, an instrument built in Germany by Hokema since 1985, based on an instrument originating from and widely used in Africa. There are more than a hundred different variations on the thumb piano found in Africa, dating back 3,000 years, though a shorter 1,300-year history for the metal version. During colonial times, Africans were discouraged to smelt their own metal and therefore developed kalimbas using nails and scrap metal. Though many think of yoga and meditation classes, perhaps floating into a Tibetan soundscape of bells and gongs, the kalimba is very much a musical and rhythmically fast instrument. The person who brought the instrument to the West was Hugh Tracy, an ethnomusicologist who traveled throughout Africa, recording traditional music for more than five decades during the 20th century. While Tracy introduced the thumb piano to the West, especially by selling the instrument through his own kalimba company, it was the band Earth, Wind and Fire that reached the masses with the song Kalimba Story. But back to the recording studio and the sounds of this episode. It was a quick, easy, simple idea, recorded with a phone, sent via text and received with a smile. It was shortly after that that I thought of recording a more intricate and higher quality version of this idea, so I returned to the recording studio and began. Insert sound. I have no musical background, though I do feel and sense rhythm and enjoy making simple sounds on various instruments. How could I approach this? I began by recording variations on the two basic sounds of the original recording. I used an AKG C451B mic to record the sounds and Though I might learn from reciting the technical aspects of its characteristics, I'll only say that this small diaphragm condenser microphone is described as having an airy sound and high overload limit. I'd like to mention a few distinct memories I have of hearing sounds or field recordings used in music. Björk used footsteps on snow in her song Aurora on the album Vespertine, a very simple but powerful use of sound. More intricate was the rhythmic sound of trains mixed in with her singing in the movie Dancer in the Dark by Lars von Trier. I remember distinctly the field recordings on the album Lift Your Skinny Fists Like Antennas to the Sky by God Save You Black Emperor. And, of course, we've all heard the countless intricate sounds used in movies, though many aren't even consciously noticed. Instead of keeping with the simplicity of my original idea, I kept on recording, looking for various possible sounds I could make and record in the studio. The carpeted walls attracted my fingernails, and the lamp seemed made to tap with a knitting needle. 
a few variations, and I was ready to start working on the final track. I was going to use the word edit, as in editing radio shows or video, and frankly I'm not sure if I have a better one for now. I imported the files, renamed them, and began dragging and dropping them into Logic Pro 9, an outdated version I paid for years ago, and stubbornly stick with after the arrival of Logic X, convincing myself that the new version is a watered-down dummy for the masses, an iMovie standard for sound, intuitive and simple, but perhaps too simple. Years after my Logic Pro stopped having updates available to it, unable to run on newer OS systems, I find myself struggling with a near-constantly-crashing software, creating stress while editing on it. But, for some reason, I keep returning to it, promising myself to make this the last time I'll start something in this flawed program, like some twisted dysfunctional electronic relationship. But all ills forgotten, I start a new project, and end up with eight monotracks, a dwarf size compared to the dozens of tracks often used by many producers. The first version I make is without any modification of the actual audio, I just align it in what feels is the right tempo. There are slight inconsistencies in the rhythm within the sound of the spring being stroked as I played it, instead of just recording it once and then repeating the one. The choice of a kind of live playing or live recording was attractive to me, but then again I did the opposite for the kalimbo. My choices were not the firm, artistic, certainty type, but more a vague idea which is carried out halfway and then abandoned by a rash or lazy decision, resulting in this. Insert sound. (sighs) Sounding fairly awful and unfinished as I didn't see a point in doing more. The sounds and feel didn't get me excited in the first place. So, I started again. Insert sound. I'll be kind and say that, you know, sometimes the process of creativity is messy. Flailing to reach the... uh, sometimes good idea, in the mind of the creator. That has been the narrative given by many a talented artist. The final edit of a movie is a great example of a magnificent process from failure to success. And same can be found in music, for example, with the help of producers like Rick Rubin, drastically changing the way a creative looks at what they're making and how, and perhaps even why. I was far from any stroke of genius and... My arrangements of sound made me cringe. It's like someone had tried to combine music for a meditation course, yoga class, a documentary about Genghis Khan and a kung fu movie, while all the while thinking John Cage, failing horribly at each. My third attempt at arranging the sounds I'd recorded based on the feeling relating to commuting in London, is unlikely to land me commissions for HBO series. And I only say this 
to acknowledge the amazing work Icelandic composer Hildur Guðnadóttir did for the HBO series Chernobyl, in which she recorded sounds inside a nuclear power plant and used only that to make the perfectly fitting and haunting score. For my third attempt, I went for a distortion in sound. I randomly added plugins of various sorts, playing around with no former experience with sub-bass, vocal TRF, spread, and evoc T-O, whatever that is. I began to go deeper into the short arrangement, making changes, playing with plugins, altering the sound. The idea of making electronic music or experimental compositions in a universe of endless possibilities by tweaking or distorting grew brighter as I felt the pull to sit down and experiment further in a mix of refining and discovery. The question of when it would be finished or sound right arose, but the idea of perfection is of no use to me when it comes to creativity. So I simply present the world premiere of East Dulles via East Croydon. I did feel the whole thing was missing a visual representation. For now, I just had to imagine the scene. The distorted soundtrack felt dark enough for a heavier take on commuting, perhaps a mental breakdown on an individual or societal level, a confrontation in a train, aggressive but long-held stares between passengers, anger or frustration boiling. This is how I possibly see one version of the visuals mixing with the sound. Insert sound. At the beginning of the score, the main character goes deep down the escalators into the crowded metro. Shaky camera. Cut to platform. Trains whizzing by, fast edits between fast trains and split-second glances of passengers on board and on platform. Slightly aggressive looks. Cut to main character in train staring ahead while camera moves up and down between feet and faces, occasionally broken by window and the fast graphics of a wall poster or faces on platform. Camera looking down, up, down. 
on the up, begin to zoom in in jumps towards a face in opposite end of carriage, menacing with the uh, illusion of coming closer through the zooming, kind of jerky, camera shaky, the lights start to turn off, blinking like a jerky fade to black, like someone fainting. With the chains in the sound to the swooshing, we cut to an empty train platform at night. A fixed frame of a near frozen scene, uh, aside from arrival of train after train at lightning speed, like the traffic scene in Baraka, the main character now appearing out of a train, like a ghost. In a split second, he's arrived at the camera, face near filling the frame, eyes wide open, staring, while the trains keep passing behind him with every sound of swoosh. And cut to black out the last swoosh. Thanks for listening to this episode of Insert Sound. I am your host, Svavar Jonathanson. I hope, I hope, I hope you'll join me again for more sound explorations. <laughs>